Ladies and gentlemen, shout out, a big, big, big shout out to Secretary of Education, Mr. Gavin Williamson, for mistaking footballer Marcus Rashford for rugby player Maro Itoje. Oh, wow. In the words of Hobbs Academy's Chuck D, bring the noise. On the Fifth In Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Seriously, that's 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 like mistaking me for the fucking rock. Like, are you stupid? Are you literally stupid? Seriously, guys, if you please just 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 do just do me a favor, and while you're listening, just just hop on to your local search engine. I just, just do what I'm doing right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm typing up Marcus Rashford, and then, then we're gonna do this now. We're gonna create a new tab, and then we're gonna put Maro. It's M-A-R-O for those that don't know. I-T-O-J-E. Okay. Just, 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 and then click on the images for both of them, and just, I don't know. Just, just take it in and just go back and forth. If you, if you, it's better if you're on laptop or desktop. Just go, just go back and forth from. A you know, uh, you know, Rashford, Rashford, you know, he's he's pretty he's pretty cut, you know what I mean? But you know, he's not skinny like me, but you know, he's 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 cut, right? Right? That's a that's a way to put it, right? And then you have Mario Toje, who's a fucking rugby player, like, like just 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 watch me click from back and forth, you know what I mean? Just just this is that, boom, boom, it. it, it I, I just don't get it. I, I I don't understand how how you manage like to to mistake Marcus Rashford for Mario Toje. It it's just it blow it boggles my fucking mind. It really fucking does. I I can't believe it. But anyway, it is what it is. Just just got just got to produce that big ass sigh and uh, continue on because. He won't. He ain't the first person to do that, and he definitely won't be the fucking last. Anyway, um, yeah. So I uh, hope everyone's had a good week, as I said before. Um, you know, I've had a pretty. Uh, you know, I, I had a. If you if you didn't clock from last episode, I was kind of like on the first hole of like a nine hole, uh, or an eighteen hole, uh, whatever your golf parlance you want to pick. Uh, of of a of the the cold open or the the flu open, whatever you want to call it, or the I have a fucking mean cough open, you know what I mean? So I was on like the first hole on the day I was recording uh, last week's WG, so it was coming, it was coming, I feel coming, and then the next day just hit me like a fucking train. I was just like, <laughs> I had work to do. I was like. <laughs> It was it was bad. So yeah, so I was like, um, I was you know a bit poorly for the, like two days after that, and I'm like, uh, you know, I'm starting to come back. I've still got, um, <clears throat> you know, I've still got some. Still, I'm still on the back nine. You know what I mean? I'm still on the, you know, I got bit, got a bit of stuff in the chest. You know what I mean? Just like on, on the throat, just chilling there. So you got to be, <clears throat> you got to get, get, get got to clear the throat. You know what I mean? Got to hit that. Let me clear my throat. You know what I mean? Just got to hear that, hear that a bit. Um, so yeah, man, just, uh, 
drinking fluids as always you know what i mean keeping keeping cool uh it's a cool 25 degrees right now so i'm happy i can't complain late summer vibes that's what we're here for and yeah you know apart from that pretty solid poor as shit but apart from that it's all good can't complain so we have two film and tv and two life topics for this episode and uh, yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be it's gonna, it's, gonna, it's gonna be an interesting one. A bit of up, bit of up and down for this for this one. Um, so with that said, formats before we begin, email to the IG, Discord link, all that, all that, all that, in the full show notes. Go peep the articles for yourself. Give these writers the clicks because they make this show possible. And with that said, let the beat drop. Let's get into the show. week where WhatsApp is fined $266 million over data transparency breaches. I've been trying to tell you, I'm trying to tell you WhatsApp is going down the loo. Get off the ship, get off the ship, get signal. Uh, Hurricane Ida floods New York and New Jersey. Uh, Texas effectively makes abortion illegal uh, with the green light from the US Supreme Court. Girls Aloud singer Sarah Harding uh, dies aged 39 from breast cancer. And lastly, TikTok reportedly overtakes YouTube in US average watch time. So I'd just like to put you back, uh, put, put you, put you back, uh, bring you back, bring you guys back to the episode a couple of, was it two episodes ago? Uh, something like that? Or, or last episode? Something like that? I, I remember talking about TikTok, so... Uh, uh, the the weeks blend together for me. <laughs> I must admit, uh, but yeah, go go peep that episode. Go 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 peep the episode from uh, I think like episode one thirty nine or something something of that nature. Um, but yeah, with that said, we should jump into our first film and TV topic. Uh, it was episode one thirty nine, just uh, for just for prosperity. And uh, yeah, so we hop into first film and TV uh, uh, segment. And uh, it's all about uh, Shang Chi, or is it Shang Chi? I want I want to say it right, but I've, per- I've heard most people say Shang Chi, so I'm gonna say Shang Chi. But I feel Shang Chi works as well. But uh, I'll, I'll just stick with Shang just for the just to if everyone else is wrong, I might as well be pretty wrong as well. Um, that that means that is a stupid way. That's a stupid way of looking at life. But there you go. I just I said it, and I'm sticking to it. Um, so yeah, I am. Um, I'm going to see Shang Chi on Friday, and. Um, it's the first film I've I'm going to see in cinemas uh, for the first time since Parasite. I think that was like February February 2020 for me, um, or January. Some maybe I think it was February, late February. And um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm I, I didn't re- I didn't know this was going to be the first film I'd see. Um, you know what I mean? I did, I was thinking about seeing Tenet last year, but I, I just I, I I just couldn't really I don't know, I couldn't muster up the courage to do so. Um, I, 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 I mean, I still don't trust people right now. Um, so, you know, fuck knows, uh, the trust I had for people, uh, that time. But, um, yeah, I, I, I was going to do it for that. I feel like, you know, that would have been a worthy film to watch in the cinema, you know, because it's Christopher Nolan and like, you know, he, you know, kind of makes that, makes that shit worthy of cinema, if that makes any sense. Not that, you know, other films don't, but, you know, he tries and I respect that. Um, but yeah, I just couldn't do it, just couldn't do it. Just, just couldn't, uh, yeah, I couldn't do it. But, um, 
Uh, but yeah, I didn't realize Shang Chi would be the first one I'd see. Um, yeah, it's just there's it's been a couple of good films about recently, um, but I've just never really gone like, yeah, yeah, I'm good. And not like I want to make it special, right? I'm not really like that. But uh, you know, regardless of that, you know, it's cool that I'm going to see Shang Shang Chi. I'm, I'm I'm kind of excited. It looks cool. The wushu in it looks banger. Um, yeah, just lo- just looks clean. It just looks super. It just looks like a clean superhero movie. Can't complain. Um, so yeah, you know, it feels no, it feels a uh, easy, easy pick. You know what I mean? So it's like, like, ooh, don't know about that film, but I'll give it a go. It's, it, it looks good. Okay, it looks fine. Um, I'm not expecting it to be film of the year or anything, but yeah, <clears throat> nice fun film to get back, get back on. Um, what I, what I do want to see, and a film that I would genuinely like, make time for. Uh, I, I was gonna say I was gonna say one, but I literally just thought of the other one. Literally came came from yesterday. Uh, I'm I'm peeping that Matrix Four, bro. That Matrix Four. I'm peeping that. Trust me, trust me on that. I was asking people about um, I was ask <coughs> I was asking a couple of film friends yesterday because I saw the teaser for Matrix Four and I was just like, oh shit! I was so big hype, right? Um, because I love me some Matrix and um. I asked him, "What's the what's the what's the cinema run that you wish you would have been a part of, but you just weren't for whatever reason?" And for me, my number one is Matrix. Like, I wish I was old enough to see Matrix, Matrix Two, uh, Revolu- uh, Reloaded, and Revolutions. I really wish I saw all three in the cinema. Um, I don't care how you guys feel about the two and three. Go fuck yourself. I like them. Okay, leave it out. Um, but yeah, I I just wanted to I wanted to see them in cinemas. I I really wanted to be like you know, uh, not six years old or however old I was at that point, right? <clears throat> but yeah, I'm going to have the opportunity to see the fourth one, and I'm so gassed. I'm going to see all my pops, and it's going to be great. I'm, I'm, I might I might get a coat just for the fuck of it. Just give me some, like, fucking leather, just, you know what I mean? Just go f- full cyberpunk on it. I'm, I'm joking, but yeah, I'm, I'm not going to do that, but yeah. It would be funny if I did. Um, but yeah, man, that and uh, The Harder They Fall, that uh, that Western film with like Regina King and Idris Elba and Lakeith, that, that looks banger. I, I, I don't, I don't want to see that on my phone. I want to see that in the cinema, right? But anyway, we're talking about Shang-Chi. <clears throat> I have this article here. Um, you know, just getting into the origins of Shang-Chi because I feel like most people don't know the origins of Shang-Chi. Um, there's a good uh, video by Comics Explained, uh, Rob of Comics Explained on YouTube. Uh, he does a good... Uh, uh, he does a good, um, uh, kind of like a, you know, origins of Shang Chi, and like he goes into like the comics of it and what happened to him and uh, how they came about, uh, and like the lifespan of them, and you know, it's, it has like all the actual pictures and the panels of Shang Chi. It's very throwback. Um, so yeah, go peep that if you want a video version of this. But um, I have a kind of a text version here by Elani, uh, Elani, uh, Elania. L E I Anna, Eliana, Eliana. There you go. Why? Why was I tripping over that? Okay, Eliana Doctorman, <laughs> Eliana Doctorman. Sorry, Jesus Christ, I had a brain fart there. Uh, it's called How Shang Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings reimagines his character's racist comic book origins via Time Magazine. Uh, let's jump right in. <clears throat> it took 25 movies for Marvel Studios to produce his first Asian-led. Uh, lead in a superhero film. In that time, fan protested uh, the casting of Ben Kingsley as a character known as the Mandarin in Iron Man 3, as well as Tilda Swinton as the Ancient One, uh, an Asian man in the comics in Doctor Strange. 
and Asian characters like Randall Park's Jimmy Woo, Benedict Wong's Wong, um, Pon Clementiefs, I think I got that right, uh, Mantis have been relegated to supporting roles to white male heroes in, super- in movies like Ant-Man the Wasp, Doctor Strange, and Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. But Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings, I'm just going to say Shang-Chi from now on, after, after if, if, if they keep saying it, because, <coughs> you know, don't need to say the whole thing. Starring Simu Liu, uh, finally hit cinemas on Friday. A coup for Asian representation in the most popular genre on the planet. Uh, it's Marvel's first movie directed by an Asian filmmaker, Destin Daniel Cretton. Uh, it also it's also only the fourth film produced by a major Hollywood studio to feature a predominantly Asian cast, along with Joy Luck Club, Crazy Rich Asians, and Last Summer's Mulan. Uh, but Shang-Chi wasn't always an obvious bra- uh, barrier breaker. The character's origins in the comics uh, were mo- was mired in racist stereotypes, most notably his father in the original comics, Fu Manchu. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's Fu Manchu. <laughs> like the facial hair. I don't know which came first, but I really hope the characters came first, because Jesus Christ, that would have been that would be horrible if uh, the, the facial hair was there first. And they're like, you know what? Fu Manchu! <coughs> Gosh, imagine, uh, was a caricature of a power-hungry, mystical Asian man. Uh, the villain in Shang-Chi is the titular character, uh, character's father, Wen-, Wen Wu, played by Tony Leung. <coughs> excuse the coughing, um, excuse the throat, uh, throat clearing. Uh, the leader of a criminal organization who wields, you guessed it, ten rings that imbue him with power. Wen Wu is part of uh, is part new invention, part a combination of several different Marvel characters from the comics. Though you can see little trace of him in the movie, Shang Chi's father in the comics is actually Fu Manchu, a villainous character from literature, uh, rooted in racism and stereotype that Marvel licensed in 1973. In the 1910s, novelist Sax Roma, uh, the story goes, uh, consulted a Ouija board in order to come up with the character who would make his fortune. The answer came back with letter, letter by letter on the board, Chinaman, not an auspicious start. <laughs> oh my gosh, Chinaman. <laughs> oh, fuck. Uh, all right. Oh, Ouija board's racist, who knew? Uh, Roma went on to write uh, a series of books about a mystic named Dr. Fu Manchu. Uh, the character was an uh, avaricious... Avaricious, yeah, avaricious Asian man. Uh, his ambition in life to conquer the West. Uh, he had, hey, <laughs> oh god, he had long curved fingernails, inhuman yellow skin, and the long thin mustache uh, that would become to be named after him. There we go. Uh, Roma described him as quote yellow peril incarnate unquote. Oh god. That's not good. Fu Manchu became one of the most popular villains of the 20th century. He was recreated in TV, radio, and film. Even Nicolas Cage played a version of him in Grindhouse. In the 1970s, uh, Marvel tried to capitalize on the popularity of martial arts first uh, by uh, trying and failing to acquire the rights to adapt the popular David Carradine TV series Kung Fu, and then by licensing Fu Manchu. They decided to give him a son, a new hero, to take on the notorious villain. Uh, villain Shang Chi. Shang Chi made his debut in Steve Englehart and Jim Starlin's special Marvel ed- Marvel edition number fifteen in 1973, and became the lead in his own comic series, Master of Kung Fu. Uh, but the arc uh, relied more heavily on its villain Fu Manchu than his hero. It became clear that the character existed to all white audiences with its martial arts feats. Uh, and when Kung Fu fell out of fashion in American culture, so did the character. Marvel discontinued the comic in 1983. 
In the last year, Marvel has relaunched Shang-Chi comic under the stewardship of Eisner Award-winning writer Jean Luen Yang, hopefully I said that right, uh, who has endeavoured to, for starters, imbue Shang-Chi with actual personality. Yeah, what? What? Actual personality? Get out of here. Gosh, God, going f- above and beyond for this one. Uh, similarly, uh, similarly, Cretan and his team uh, pitched Marvel Studios a story about family drama uh, very Marvel family drama, daddy issues, all that, uh, that just happened to also feature Kung Fu. Uh, they pulled the most compelling aspect of the original Shang-Chi comic, the conflict between father and son, there we go, but humanised both the hero and the villain, uh, rather than othering them as the comics had done. Uh, but the movie had to contend not only with the history of racism in the comics, but a history of stereotyping in the MCU itself. Uh, MCU fans may remember the Ten Rings from the very first Marvel Studios movie Iron Man. As a terrorist organisation that kidnaps Tony Stark and goes him into the building, uh, the very first Iron Man prototype, into building, yeah, goes him into building the very first Iron Man stereotype in order to escape. Memorable. Uh, While imprisoned by the Ten Rings, Stark discovers that the group is buying Stark technology off the black market and vows to change its ways. Stark returns to the desert. They, they did, actually, so as a side note, they didn't really explore that bit, did they? Like, they, we just we just assumed that nobody's copying Stark tech unless he had, unless he has a say. So, just just interesting, just a thought. Um, <clears throat> uh, Stark returns to the desert where he was held captive and kills terrorists responsible. But his ultimate confrontation with his business uh, partner Obadiah uh, Stain, Jeff Bridges, uh, who it turns out was Stark went with terrorists. Why am I talking about the? plot of Iron Man 1. I think you guys all know that. Uh, the Ten Rings mostly disappear from the MCU after that point. Stark never seems compelled to discover the head of the organization that nearly killed him. In Shang-Chi we find out that Wen Wu uh, is in fact the man in charge of the Ten Rings. Oh, here we go. An organization that earns its name from this powerful Ten Rings. There we go. Um, it, I, I, wanted, I wanted to say something but I'd, I'd rather not. Um, at one point in the movie, Wen Wu explains... Uh, uh, explains away another MCU misstep, the casting of Ben Kingsley as the villain, uh, the Mandarin. The Mandarin made his Marvel Comics debut in 64 as an Asian supervillain, arch enemy, of, arch enemy of Iron Man. The Mandarin loomed large over Iron Man 3 in that film, in videos, yep, 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 we know what the Iron Man 3 is, go watch it if you haven't seen it. In Shang-Chi, Kingsley Slattery uh, makes a brief cameo imprisoned by the Ten Rings organisation that he once mocked. Later, when Wu quickly dismisses Aldrich Killian's uh, bizarre decision to hire a white man to impersonate Wen Wu using an Asian name. Quote, he didn't know my actual name, he invented a new one. Wen Wu says, he gave me the name of a chicken dish. It worked that America was afraid of an orange. Okay. <laughs> <coughs> Okay, I'm actually kind of... Okay, okay right, so that's, that's giving me a bit of a guess. I'm, I'm kind of... I'm a bit more excited about the film now. Not to say I wasn't before. Um, I did pay, you know, money to go see it, uh, after all. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for the... I'm here, especially for the, you know, cha- the retconning, basically, um, that, is, that is just highly necessary at this point. Um, and if that quote is said in there, I'm, I'm guaranteed, uh, guaranteed that everyone's going to have a chuckle if, they, if they're aware... Of the uh, Iron Man three, uh, you know, part of the part of the Ten Ring story, um, but yeah, <clears throat> I'm here for it. I'm here for the film. Can't wait to watch it. Might give her a little report back uh, next week. Uh, but yeah, man, shout out to Shang Chi. Shout out to MCU for finally getting a you know a decent martial arts superhero movie going. I feel like a that just screams should have been made ages ago.
again to our first of two live, uh, live segments, and uh, this is all about 9/11. Obviously, as uh, I well, actually, actually, as this episode drops, it drops on the day of 9/11. Side note: I'm kind of uh, this is the only time I actually accept the use of uh, month first, day then day, uh, as Americans love to do. I'm a day then month person, um, so technically it should be 11:9. Uh, but I guess that doesn't ring as well. I don't know. But anyway, people call it 9-11. I'm going to stick to 9-11. But that's just a personal qualm I have with it. Um, but yes, uh, it's going to be 20 years since 9-11. And, um, you know, considering all the Afghanistan stuff has been going on, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating to think about. Um, I think 9-11 is a event that really changed a lot. Um, on the face and just deep in the roots of American culture and honestly I think is a and I'm sure there's plenty of books about you know I know I know for a fact there's plenty of books about 9-11 I was taught uh, in university by a guy who wrote a book about 9-11 and film shout out to uh, Terrence McSweeney um, but yeah uh, you know I'm sure there's a lot of books on that but I feel like the conversation about 9-11 and the cultural shift um, is something that really needs to be, uh, I, th- I feel, explored way more. Obviously, we talk about the war side of it and the political side of it, which is very obvious and very in front, uh, front and centre. Uh, when you talk about uh, politics in the 2000s, um, you know, Tony Blair and George W. Bush and all of that, uh, you know, I mean, it's very, it's very front and centre. You can see all that. But what some people didn't see and don't think about now is like how... Uh, you know, even like the Disney Channel, a channel for you know preteens and teenagers, uh, and children, uh, had Disney actors, you know, talking about nine eleven on the Disney Channel. I haven't seen, I didn't, I haven't watched the video, but I've seen the video circulated. Um, I've just never bothered to watch it, and yeah, but just the just the captions to them, uh, the to the videos themselves is just like, excuse me, what? Okay. Anyway, um, yeah, so this is an article here by, and something that also fascinates me, it's just like how the world was right before 9-11, always fascinates me, um, but yeah, uh, this is an article by Tim Adams, uh, this is called The Day Before 9-11, What Was Life Like Before the World Changed, um, and that's a very, you know, it sounds like a very punchy title, but I feel like it's legit, like, you know, the world did fundamentally change in a lot of ways, uh, after 9-11, uh, but yeah, let's get into this as via the Guardian. Let's uh, jump right in. <clears throat> there is always an eeriness in the archives of days that immediately precede tragedy. The newspapers of the day before the Titanic's maiden voyage, or the reports, uh, <clears throat> or the reports from the eve of President Kennedy's vi- visit to Dallas, forever after take uh, on, forever after take on the shadow of the in- of innocent. A weird sentence. Uh, sunlit photos of a suddenly lost loved one. Uh, we have come to accept that 20 years ago this week, on the morning of uh, 11th September, uh, the world as we knew it changed forever. Uh, but from what? What were what were the immediate uh, befores of of that indelible after? I've spent the last few days uh, reading through the papers of the week, beginning 3rd of September 2001. Looking for any clues that suggested those were uh, 
Those were times of relative security and a certain naivety or blitheness, at least in the affluent corners of the West, wondering with hindsight if the terrorist planes really came out of nowhere uh, with their era-defining message of hate as it appeared to so many. As a side note, um, there is a couple of good documentaries out there about, um, you know, pre-9-11 and, you know, how America... I'm going to word this carefully, Um, you know, how America kind of, you know, built it, built the events, you know, were significant, let's say this, how they were significant hands in 9-11 happening, okay? not saying they obviously shot themselves in the foot, so to speak, but they had a big hand in it, but anyway. uh, What was on the observer's mind? Um... On the, uh, Sunday night of September, two days before the attacks on the World Trade Center, and the Pentagon forever destroyed the myth of American invulnerability. One answer is many of the things uh, that continue to preoccupy us. The lead report that morning was an inside story from the Sandgate. I, th- I assume that's how you say it. Sandgate. Uh, there's two T's in it, so I don't know. Uh, refugee camp in Calais, um, <clears throat> from which asylum seekers had lately been attempting to storm the Channel Tunnel. Uh, resulting in home office noises about further measures to barricade quote-unquote fortress Europe. On the front page, there was also uh, disquiet that Nick Griffin, leader of the BNP, really? That was in 2001? Fuck. Uh, Had been given a platform on Radio 4, potentially fueling racial division. Inside, meanwhile, it was assumed that Ian Duncan Smith was on the verge of being made Tory leader over his rival Ken Clark indicating a further lurch to the party's Eurosceptic right. In the na- in nascent culture war news, uh, the frontrunner for the job of chairman of the BBC, Gavin Davies, was being uh, characterised by HM opposition as a political uh, crony of the Blair government. <clears throat> were there also hints of uh, the seismic events uh, that were to reshape foreign policy for the next two decades? Certainly, if you care to look. The foreign pages led with the report of the Taliban show trial of eight foreign national aid workers, four Germans, two Americans, two Australians, accused of disseminating Christian propaganda. In, re- uh, in a related down-page story the previous week, The Guardian had reported how, quote, Arab, fi- uh, Arab fighters funded by the Saudi-born terrorist Osama bin Laden have become increasingly influential within the Afghanistan's Taliban government, unquote. Dot, 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 interesting. Uh, the Taliban, uh, the report said, were refusing to hand over bin Laden to the US, where he was wanted for the 1998 bombing of the of two US embassies in East Africa that killed 224 people. Uh, Osama bin Laden said M- uh, Maulvi Jamal, uh, the Taliban information minister, quote, is a good man and doesn't want to harm anyone, unquote. <laughs> oh. oh, that's 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 interesting. See, uh, I just, I just, I don't know. That just fascinates me. You know what I mean? Just uh, if you, if you really have a look, literally, the Guardian was covering a bit on Osama bin Laden and Taliban government. He's a good guy. He's fine. Literally, not like days before nine eleven. Fuck, crazy. Um, right. The New York Times was reporting how the Taliban were using the trial of aid work of the aid workers to denounce the fact that after five years in power, only three nations recognize it as a legitimate government. Quote, we believe in uh, rights according to Islam, their statement read in words that continue to echo down to the present. And if anybody is trying to impose their definition of human of the human rights on us, they will be sadly mistaken because this world is not a world of one culture or one religion, unquote. 
not wrong, but <laughs> last point ain't wrong. Uh, such distant anxieties were very far from a dominant tone, however. The mood of the papers that weekend still carried traces beyond the sports pages of the England football team's unlikely 5-1 thrashing of Germany in the World Cup qualifier the week before. And the more casual reader might well have come away from the observer believing that the most pressing threat to the nation's civiliza- uh, civilization was a growing taste for invasions of privacy. Uh, in the lead interview, the uh, the TV executive Peter Bowserget or Bowsergetti uh, was dismissing critics who claimed that the reality TV, <laughs> oh god, the quote the reality t- event TV unquote sensation Big Brother did not quote represent the dumbest of the dumb, <laughs> but rather a new broadcasting golden age. Oh gosh, oh gosh. Uh, back brackets it is worth recalling how in an alternative history in which the attacks never got off the ground uh, that week might have been remembered mostly for the ca- coughing major Charles Ingram cheating his way to the jackpot and who who wants to be a millionaire fascinating point fascinating point all that was before though uh, all that was before though one immediate conclusion to the shocking enormity of the tragedy of 9-11 was that frivolity itself would never be the same again in the Observer offices that week, a planned special magazine devoted to Celebrity Uncovered was quickly shelved in the erroneous belief that the world would probably never be again be so interest, uh, interested in cellulite and who was uh, leaving nightclubs with whom. Uh, that understanding was obviously far more vivid across the Atlantic, where for several days after the attacks, the TV schedules uh, were cleared of all entertainment and advertising because the horror had unfolded on live TV. TV itself... Uh, oh, because the horror of a folded live TV, TV itself was under the spotlight. Quote, for the moment, uh, the cultural critic Hal Foster noted, we have a reprieve from disaster movies. They are live. Ludicrous before reality TV is offensive now, as we are all under stress, on the edge, with no need for voyeuristic thrills. Therapy culture is put into new perspective, as is round-the-clock entertainment, unquote. Broadsheet newspaper pages had long been used to jarring juxtapositions of tone, tragedy, and lightness sharing a page. The author Don DeLillo uh, built his Great War, Great Cold War novel Underworld out of just such a juxtaposition, a split of New York Times front page that featured uh, on one half of the famed baseball final involving the shot heard around the world, and on the other the news that the Soviet Union had for the first time successfully tested, uh, tested an atom bo- atomic bomb. Television found such in uh, incongru- incongruity, yeah, I said it right. Uh, far harder to manage. Satire was off limits. Even the most fluent of the world's commentators were lost for words. David Letterman que- questioned whether he would be ever able to host a show again. The Titanic director James Cameron ditched a plan to make a sequel to his disaster spoof True Lies, saying that terrorism is no longer something that needs something to be taken lightly. Jackie Chan, meanwhile, added his personal mythology of near-death experience by suggesting that he had been due on September 11th to start filming a script called Nosebleed at the World Trade Center, in which he played a gravity-divine window cleaner who foiled a terrorist plot, and that only a a scheduling change had saved him. Fuck, that's fascinating. Uh, There was, I think I've heard that before, but it's fascinating to hear about again. There was a widespread belief in the immediate aftermath that 9/11 of of 9/11 that Hollywood should accelerate the production of comforting family-oriented films at the expense of horror and action movies, but within a short time demanded return to normal. As Wheeler Dixon pointed out in his study film, 
and the television after 9-11. There you go, that's one book right there. Hollywood production money quickly shifted to just war projects supporting military reprisal. Films such as Black Hawk Down and Collateral Damage were soon in production. <clears throat> okay, I want to... Th- there's a lot of article left. Um, but I really want to just dr- drill down... On that last, on that last bit right there, um, I'm just looking at the rest of this article, skim reading it. I just want to, because I really just want to like put some thought into that idea. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna. Okay, let me read this last quote. Let me read this one more paragraph, and then, uh, then I'll talk about that film a bit because it just, that's just fascinating. That really caught my. I'll put a pin on this. So let's go. Let's go with this last bit. Uh, this change reflected reflected in a shift to in American fears. Proof that the terrorists had achieved their broadest aim. In the summer of 2001, a Gallup poll asked the US citizens uh, what they were most frightened of. Snakes came out on top with flying only figuring uh, in 18% of uh, of responses. By the end of September, nearly half of the population in another poll expressed their pressing anxiety that they would be victims of a a terror attack. The following month, the syndrome called General Anxiety Disorder was included in the medical lexicon for the first time. The word Islamophobia had appeared only once in the New York Times before that week. Since then, it has been the focus of 716 articles. Okay, so I want to I wanna leave, leave that there. There is plenty more article here. If you want to go peep for yourself, please do so, because it is a very interesting article. But I really, just as a person interested in film, I just found that last bit, uh, that film bit, very fascinating. So you're telling me that people were like suggesting, people were suggesting maybe we should invest in family-oriented shit, you know what I mean? Just stuff to make people feel better. But Hollywood was like, nah, more, excuse me, nah, more war propaganda. That fascinates the fuck out of me. And it, excuse me, and again, I'm sure there's plenty of books about it, right? I'm sure there's plenty of books about film, post 9-11, shout Terex Bassoonie again, because I know he did a good one. Um, but I didn't realise it was so immediate. I, that's just, that's just the thing that's come across as new for me in this, in this thought. The fact that it came across so close after it, they were just like, no, Black Hawk Down, no, collateral damage. When did Black Hawk Down drop? Let me, let me look that up right quick i haven't even seen black hawk down but i know people really fucked with it at that time 2000 what release date january 18th 2002 fuck nah i can't have been it can't have been produced like in between in a month can't have been can't have been i need i need some i need some production credit or something like that um, so it's obviously adapted by the book, uh, yada, 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 okay, I'm gonna look, try and read, okay, filming began in March 01, and concluded in late June, okay, there we go, see how I wanted, okay, so, so they didn't make a film in literally a few, four months, I mean, they did, but before 9-11, but the fact that they clearly just, like, they didn't, they didn't want to shelve that, they instead put spotlight on Black Hawk Down and the films like Collateral Damage. And, you know, this kind of bled until maybe like American Sniper a few years ago. That's like the last proper, you know, America fuck yeah kind of war film, uh, uh, you know, American war film, right? And I watched it. Yeah, I watched American Sniper. It's a good film. It's a good film. Obviously, there's a lot of 
American Americana in there, you know, just you know, just injecting that shit in there. But you know, as a film, it's a good film, right? It's a it's a as war films go, it's a solid war film. But obviously, there's a lot of messaging to it. There's a lot of uh, subliminal messaging to it. <coughs> um, but boy, 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 it's just um, I just don't know how you react to it by just going, you know what, war films. Yeah, I mean, just I don't know. I don't know about it. I'm not saying like go just constantly give Adam like give who who was like the big comedians at the time like Owen Wilson and Ben Stiller like you know give them every single film and make it funny. Right? I'm not saying that, but fuck. Right after, damn. That's that's the one thing that fascinates me the most. <clears throat> I mean, there's a lot of things that fascinates me about 9/11 pre and post, but um, just as a flashpoint, it is very interesting. In just how America actually responded to it, um, you know, even like uh, even places like The Onion didn't even try and attempt to make a joke with it. I mean, they kind of did, but kind of not. Um, it was just yeah, it was very weird. Um, obviously, SNL like got Rudy Giuliani to say we we have the permission to laugh again, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it's just it's just weird. It's just so weird thinking about nine eleven. Um, you know, it's tw- how it's twenty years old now. I think I was getting a haircut when it happened, um, but yeah, it's just a, it's a real fascinating event, um, and uh, even just thinking about how publications were talking about it, and how you know, the talk about Big Brother at the time, fuck, like, Jesus Christ, imagine that, just, just everybody would be talking about Big Brother at that point, honestly, that's, that's just crazy to think about, <laughs> fuck, but then again, Big Brother f- survived, you know what I mean, they, they were fine, but yeah, it's just uh, yeah, man. Twenty years since nine eleven. A lot of um, a lot of conversations that can be had about it. But um, obviously, that's just one particular way of talking about it. So now I hop into the second of two uh, live segments, and uh, yeah, this is just like this is just something I literally found today um, as I record. It dropped yesterday, uh, and it's, it just fascinates me because uh, I have a I have a screenplay uh, that really connects to this, and it just, <laughs> it just makes me is it's just it's just glorious. It's just glorious. So. Uh, it's called a once in a century solar superstorm could plunge the world into internet apocalypse. Study says this is by Vishwam uh, Sankaran. This is via the Independent. And basically, the crux of my film is like a post-apocalyptic thing, like ten years after a technological apocalypse. That's how I've worded it. But in the next, I'll take internet apocalypse. I'll I'll take it. I'll I'll take that. Um, and uh, run with it. I just I, I don't know. It just fascinates me that I'd had this idea like four years ago, and now it's like it could be a possibility. Uh, it's just funny. Um, a sev- it's just right. A severe solar storm, which happens once in approximately hundred years, could catastrophically impact various human technologies on Earth and plunge the world into an into the apocalypse. A stu- new study says the Earth's magnetic field protects its inhabitants from solar wind, uh, consisting of charged particles streaming from the sun. By deflecting the electric winds uh, towards the planet's so- uh, poles and creating scenic aur- aur- auroras, I, s- I made it sound like a. Oh shit! I made it sound like a. I don't know what's the word. Um. 
sound like a, a, a walrus. Uh, however, once in about 80 to 100 years, due to the sun's natural life cycle, uh, these winds escalate into solar superstorms that could uh, cause catastrophic internet outages covering the entire Earth and lasting several months, says a study presented at SIGCOM uh, 2021, the annual conference of the ACM Special Interest Group of da- on Data Communication. Whew, that sounds like a fucking riot of a, of a, of a hotel. Oy, fucking hell. <laughs> In the research... Uh, Sangeetha or Sangeeta uh, Abdu uh, Giothi uh, from the University of California Irvine and VMware Research uh, assessed the robustness of the current internet infrastructure against such an extreme space weather event. In fa- it found that long distance optical fiber lines and submarine cables, which are a vital part of this global internet infrastructure, are vulnerable to the currents produced on the Earth's crust by solar superstorms, also known as con- coronal mass ejections. CME. <clears throat> a CME involves uh, emission, uh, the emission of electrically, electrically uh, charged matter and accompanying magnetic field into space. Uh, when it hits the Earth, it interacts with the Earth's magnetic, magnetic field and produces GU, geomagnetically induced currents, or GIC, uh, on the crust, Dr. Giothi explained in a tweet. I love it. Have a com- have a full-on like conference about it and then you have to just tweet out like to actually get it to people uh what world <clears throat> the current from these solar storms can e- uh, enter and damage long conductors such as power lines the study noted quote in today's uh, long-haul internet cables the obstacle fiber is immune to gic uh, but these cables also have electrically powered repeaters at minus 100 kilometer kilometers interval kilometer intervals uh, that are susceptible to damages, Giothi added. While the probability of such events is hap- of ha- uh, events happening varies from 1.6% to 12% probability per decade, Giothi says the chances increase during the sun's maximum activity period in its waxing and waning cycle. Uh, luckily, Giothi uh, says modern technological advances have coincided with a peri- period of weak solar activity. However, with the sun expected... That was too positive. I wanted to get negative. Uh, however, the, with the sun expected to become more active in the near future, she says the current in, uh, current internet infrastructure has not been stress tested by strong solar events. Quote: In short, we have no idea (all caps) uh, how resilient the current internet infrastructure is against the threat of G- uh, CMEs. She noted in a tweet, citing an example of how disastrous a CME could be for communication systems on Earth. Geoti said the last big solar storms happened in 1859. Uh, and 1921. <clears throat> Studies have documented the significant damages caused by these solar storms uh, to the communication network of the time, the telegraph network. The current solar cycle, a study says, has potential to be one of the strongest on record compared to the previous cycle ending in 2019, which had a peak sunspot number of 116. The number of sunspots at the peak of the current cycle, Jyothi says, is very high, between two, 210 and 260. Oi, oi. I don't know why I'm so excited about this. This has little to no chance of happening, but... I mean, I'd be kind of... I mean, it's not going to kill us. It will just shut off the internet. And I don't know. I'm kind of interested in how we'd react to it. I mean, the way I... Okay, uh, should I stop there? 
I think I've made the point. Uh, there, there's plenty of other. There's plenty of other uh, uh, article, but I, I want to just get to the point. Um, so the reason why I was so interested in by this because I I I, I kind of like I said I kind of want to know. I kind of want it to happen because again I would like to see how we would all react when there's no internet for like a few. Let's just say a couple of days because you could also say a couple of weeks, right? I I I just want to see what that ha- what happens on that front. I I'd like to see how we how we'd communicate. Um, if we can communicate, uh, what would you, what would even happen to us? Because let's be real, just just think about the stuff that you do that requires your phone or me recording my laptop. I wouldn't be able to. You ain't getting no podcast from me. That's one thing. There you go. That's one thing. You ain't getting my podcast. Uh, you ain't getting nobody's tweets, nobody's IGs. Um, shit. I don't know if like cameras would work because I have a camera now. I don't know if that would work um, anymore. That'd be kind of shit. Uh, obviously, wouldn't be able to connect to my phone as I do for some sometimes, or uh, you know, connect to my laptop. Um, would would battery power go out? So would you have just like you know whatever life you have on your laptop or phone left, and then and then boom, it's over? Or would they just cut out immediately? I have questions, you know what I mean, on on the front, and I kind of want it to happen. I'm I'm just in, I'm just intrigued. It's not gonna kill us, right? Unless you guys just you know go ape shit about the internet going down. And you can't tweet something. I can't tweet. Must murder. You know what I mean? Unless you go down that route, then sure, fuck it. But um, you know, I just find it interesting. I would just I, I I you know how would we get news? You know what I mean? A lot of things require electricity, so I'm just I am just interested in how it, how it would all go down. And if, if, and, and, and just to finish off, you know, I kind of want to see if what I put, if the plot I put for 10 years after a such, a technological apocalypse such as this, whether we'd all be dead because we just end up killing each other. Because that's kind of the road I go down with my script. I just want to, I, I, I want to see if I'm right. I just want to see if I'm right. You know what I mean, I'm just interested. I'm just intrigued. Just intrigued. A little bit. Just give me a couple of days of no internet. I just want to see if people start kidding each other. I just want to see how far it goes and what extremes you lot go to. Just a thought. Kind of want it to happen, but it won't. But if it does, let the games begin. hop into our last segment and uh, it's all about the death of Mr. Michael K. Williams noted actor for roles such as Omar Little in The Wire and Chalky White of Boardwalk Empire he's also been in other shows as well such as Community and the miniseries uh, The Night Of or In yeah The Night Of I think it's called uh, with Riz Ahmed and uh, that's just a fucking outstanding miniseries uh, really loved that show <coughs> but yeah he uh, died at the age of 54 and uh, I'm leaning to the words of a uh, of critic uh, Alan Seppinwall, uh, TV critic. Uh, he did this via the Rolling Stone uh, the same day. Uh, he whacked this out very quickly. Um, so shout out to him on that front. Um, but yeah, uh, I kind of want to get into. I'll, I'll read the cycle, but even the title kind of make, uh, kind of uh, brings the point I want to make at the end, which is the price of art. And uh, even in this title, it says, Michael K. Williams, the wire star, turned real-life pain 
into staggering art. And uh, the conversation I want to get into and the conversation I got, uh, I, I was uh, exposed to from other people uh, via a film group chat that I'm in, uh, they were talking about, you know, how, you know, actors and other people, you know what I mean, other, other creators put their, you know, actual pain and try and make it into art and... Uh, I, and maybe and some people class it as therapy but some people you know go down even worse hole um but i just want to have that conversation uh, uh, at the but at the end of this but um, yeah let's just get into this this is a good piece <clears throat> uh, they hear him uh, before they see him but they know who he is and they're terrified he is whistling the farmer in the dell and by the time he swaggers around the corner of west baltimore block uh, a shotgun visibly dangling beneath his trademark grey duster. Omar Little has sent an entire drug crew scurrying. They sprint down near a nearby alley, right into the trap, larger, uh, right into the trap, the larger-than-life sticker pies has laid for them. And when he gets a look uh, at a gaudy necklace hanging from the leader's neck, he stops whistling and smugly speaks the next lyric aloud: "Yeah, the cheese stands alone." This was not one of uh, this was not Michael K. Will- Michael Kenneth Williams's first appearance as Omar in the Wire, or even his second. He popped up briefly in two previous episodes, pulling slightly less flamboyant but equally effective raids on drug- local drug crews, and becoming object object of interest uh, for both the Barksdale gang and the police unit tar- targeting them. But Omar was always presented as a figure out of, a- out of myth on a series that was otherwise stubbornly realistic. So the image of him strolling towards his prey, not a care in the world despite the life and death stakes of his game, uh, is the one uh, every Wire fan pictures when they think of his introduction in, uh, to one of the greatest shows ever made. The Wire creators David Simon and Ed Burns had based Omar on Donnie Andrews, a Baltimore sticker pirate they both knew. But the character also owes a lot to classic westerns. Uh, so it didn't matter when Omar actually debuted. Uh, because, as the Wild West saying goes, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. Williams, who was found dead in his Brooklyn apartment on Monday at the too young age of 54, was in many ways a legend. He played the most beloved character on, all, on an all-time classic, a character so popular, no less than Barack Obama named Omar his favourite. He was such a staple in great HBO dramas as bootlegger Chalky White in Boardwalk Empire, Prison veteran Freddie Knight in The Night Of, there you go, uh, and closeted monster hunter Montrose Freeman on uh, In Lovecraft Country. Uh, that, if anyone were attempt to, to attempt to, to build a Mount Rushmore for the pay cable giant, Williams would certainly be on it, maybe as the Teddy Roosevelt to James Gandolfini's George Washington. <clears throat> but he was also a man, an artist, an addict, and an abuse victim. And it was his ability to find the vulnerabilities and shadings within these outsized characters to make an Omar or a Chalky into a human being who just wore the cloak of legend that made him so great and that makes his loss uh, feel so acute. Omar, understandably, will be the character everyone first thinks about as they hear the terrible news of William's passing, his spectacular merging of actor and role, one of the most memorable figures in the long history of television as a medium, Black, gay and loquacious, with a flair for the dramatic and rigid moral code, he felt at once wholly new and yet so fully realised it was a wonder uh, we hadn't seen the likes of him before. But also, but every, uh, but every show and movie that employed Williams was made, bet- made the better for it. 
In addition to his iconic HBO work, he gave a searing recent performances in Netflix's When They See Us as a father who naively talks his son into confession that will wrongly send him to prison for years. And ABC's When We, Ri- when we Rise uh, as a gay activist, Ken Jones. Uh, and he was dryly funny in guest appearances on Community and F is for Family. Uh, Williams at once radiated star power while having the character actor's gift for blending into scenes whenever necessary. Anytime his, anytime his presence loomed over the wire as a whole, it, it's because it was meant to. <coughs> Uh, like everyone else, I was a sucker for Omar, but I also had a weak spot for Chalky White, the black counterpart in Atlantic City to Steve Buscemi's Lucky Thompson. Uh, there's a scene in an early episode where Chalky is. Oh, this is a fucking boss scene. Um, there's a clip. There's an embedded clip in this article. Please go watch the scene if you haven't. It is fucking sick. It is is so boss. Um, there's a scene in an early episode where Chalky is given the opportunity to interrogate a local. A local Ku Klux Klan member uh, leader uh, regarding the lynching of Chalky's driver. Sitting calmly across from this racist piece of trash, Chalky eloquently tells the story of his beloved carpenter father and how Mr. White's work on a beautiful set of bookcases eventually got him hung too. Uh, Chalky's hands have even have been resting on a leather case of some sort, and at the end of the speech, he unfolds it, stroking the context love uh, contents lovingly. As he explains, quote, these here, my daddy tools, unquote. His terrified prisoner asked Chalky, uh, asked what Chalky intends to do with them. And Chalky, reveling in the chance to metaphorically get some revenge for his father's murder, pauses, smiles and says, well, dot, 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 I ain't building no bookcase. It is a spellbinding bit, uh, spellbinding bit of oratory uh, all around. And the tender gestures he use, uh, uses as he touches the tool suggested that the uh, that as great as he was on the wire, he had far more talent than range and range uh, than he'd been able to show as relatively minor figure in that series as scheme of things. Chalky's prominence on Boardwalk grew and grew until the show's penultimate season, not coincidentally by far its best, effectively treated him and Nucky as co-leads with Chalky's raw and deeply personal battle. Uh, against charismatic Harlem crime boss Valentin Narcisse, uh, played by Jeffrey Wright, taking the series emotional, uh, two emotional heights he had never hit before, and that's kind of disappointing on my side because um, I, I I was really into that show, <clears throat> into that show, but I I just I just can't get into TV shows that are longer than forty five minutes. Like if like it was it was ninety minutes plus adverts. So if I recall, if I watched it now and it was like a full hour, I could probably start again and get into it. Uh, but the fact that it was adverts just really took me out of it. There were so many. Like, I can't watch a film's worth of TV, like, uh, you know, regularly like that. It was, it was a bit stupid for me. But anyway, early in the <coughs> early in the run of Boardwalk, I got the chance to enjoy a drink of Williams before moderating a panel featuring him and the rest of the show's impressive cast. Years after he uh, broke, first broke through on The Wire, he was still marvelling at the journey he had taken from a Brooklyn housing project to fancy wine and cheese events like this. And hearing our country's first black president praise his work, I looked forward to many uh, more encounters with him in the future of what was already a remarkable career. People are, of course, more compla- uh, complicated than they appear on television or over a quick chat at a private event. Not long after Williams and I met, he went on the record with New Jersey's Star Ledger newspaper about his long history of drug addiction and recovery. He was even more candid a few years, uh, a few years later with the New York Times talking about his, uh, both his drug, drug problem 
Uh, David Simon confessed in the piece that he had, he and Burns worried if they uh, fired Williams for coming to work high, quote, he'd become truly untethered. And about uh, being sexually molested as a child and the impact it had on the man he grew up to be. Quote, the characters that mean the most to me are the ones that damn near kill me, he told the Times. It's a sacrifice I've chosen to make. Unquote. This is a painful statement, especially in the light of his death at an age when he had so mu- so many more roles to play and so many more lives to touch. But the link between Williams' pain and his performances is one you can see throughout his too brief but impressive career. A trademark scar that swooped diagonally across most of his face, for instance, turned out to be a professional godsend, transforming him from a forgotten background extra in dance videos to someone directors wanted to keep moving closer and closer to the camera. Uh, until finally Tupac Shakur picked Williams to play his brother in 1996's Bullet. Uh, Williams did not identify as gay, but he found a welcome space for himself in the gay community after having been branded as soft by the kids kids in his East Flatbush neighbourhood. He would use those friendships to help inform his work as men like Omar, Ken Jones and Montrose Freeman, Every actor, whether they are classically trained or more instinctive like Williams, in some way uses their own experiences to fuel their work. The personal cost of that method just seemed far higher for him than for so many of his peers. The penultimate episode of Lovecraft Country sees the show's main characters transported back in time to Tulsa, Oklahoma in 1921, on the night the infamous Tulsa Race Massacre began. It was an event Montrose already endured firsthand as a young man, and still coming to terms with, uh, uh, still come to terms with his sexuality. He survives his return visit as an adult, and uh, then stands at a hotel window watching his hometown burn due to the ignorant prejudice and cruelty of his white neighbours. He begins listing the very real names of Black Tolsons who died that night, in yet another hypnotic monologue that, uh, by this point, was becoming a special speciality, uh, specialty. Sorry. Uh, once again, there was Michael Kenneth Williams uh, turning real-life pain to stunning art. It felt like he was just getting warmed up as an actor rather than nearing the finish line. Though Omar struts into the wire as a legend, he ex- exits merely a man gunned down in a liquor store by a scared kid looking to make a name for himself in the neighbourhood drug trade. His death felt terribly early, even though the wire only had a few episodes to go at this point. Now Williams has gone far too early too. And at a moment in his career uh, where there should be should have been no end in sight, he had so much more to give, so many more roles to make indelibly uh, his, so many more turns of phrase to deliver smooth as butter, even among some of the greatest dramatic ensembles ever assembled, Michael K. Williams stood alone. <sighs> that was a very good piece, um, considering he did that in mere hours, um, so shout out to... Um, uh, shout out and Sepp and Moore on that front. But yeah, um, the pain element of it um, is so fascinating to me. And uh, there's always something that uh, I, you know, I don't think... I, I mean... I always think about um, why I write the things I write. And, um, you know, I, I have themes, I think, that run across them. That I, if I really be honest with myself, skirt um, the deeper root issues that I have in my own personal psyche. Um, but it's enough to be compelling. You know what I mean? I, I, I've truly never have written something that... Uh, yeah, actually, you know what? 
one one thing. I wrote a small short, like it was like three pages. It wasn't that long, right? That really, um, you know, explored a a deep rooted psycho a psychological element of myself that you know I really I always think about, right? And I always mull over and think about how it affected me, um, but. Uh, I never wrote on. Pe- I never. I never wrote it down, and I never, you know, contextualized it in in that way. Most of the time, I take you know a theme. I, I base it in a theme, and then just uh, explore that, and just find and just ask myself what would be entertaining. You know what I mean? And uh, go from there. And it really, you know, comes back to me and my personal issues. But you know, that's writing, right? And. Um, and performing is a different kettle of fish. Um, you know, I can write it and then have somebody, you know, bleed it out for me. You know what I mean? On wax, on visual wax, so to speak, right? And, um, you know, I could, I could, uh, you know, but, but I, I couldn't act it out. You know what I mean? Um, partly because I'm not an actor. There's that. But <laughs> with that said, if I was an actor, I don't know. I don't know if I could, like, do that. Um, but, you know, MKW really did that, and, uh, the conversation I kind of alluded to, the people were having, and I didn't really jump into it, because they were go they were going down the road of, like, you know, actors, or, you know, people shouldn't, um, shouldn't, I, I don't, wanna, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but I'm, par- I'm, I am paraphrasing, but they were going along the lines of, um, you know, I I I don't think artists should be should should go through that kind of pain, and the the way they were going about it was more about um, how Hollywood treats actors and treats people and treats certain stories, right? And that's true. Um, some 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 stories should not be explored by Hollywood. You know, uh, them for example is a good is a good highlight. Uh, for, I, I I remember talking about that a few months ago um, as a show. And it shouldn't. That shouldn't have been made by Hollywood. That shouldn't have been made by Hollywood people. It didn't deserve to be. And uh, it was just. It just became trauma porn at that point. Uh, it was just a bit absurd from the clips I saw and the and the description that was put into the article that I read at that time. It was fucking just Jesus Christ. It just didn't sound appealing at all. Never never read something so unappealing. Um, but but you know, for something like The Wire, um, I feel like that was very down to earth. Obviously, coming from people like David Simon, it was very down to earth and well researched, right? And I felt like that wasn't exactly Hollywood, Hollywood. Um, I I feel like, you know, having someone like Michael Kay on that um, at high at the time, like that's just fucking crazy to think about. And um, uh, yeah, that's a slippery slope that could easily have gone down a different road. I mean, it could have been like a actor in the wire dies like it, it really could have been i wonder um so in that case it's kind of a blessing that he got that far it got as far as he got with to to the age he was but you know for the fact that he was found suddenly in his apartment we don't know as as it is recording i don't know the t- the the cause of death um but it just hits it just hits different and um uh he he, he was truly a guy where every time i saw him i was just like oh shit Michael K, come on through, bruv. You know what I mean? Just you, you. I immediately just like, oh, here we go. Sit up, like you know what I mean. Just, you just know he's gonna just fucking deliver some heat. You know what I mean? You just know he's gonna come with some good heat, and that is why I, you know, have. It's people like him that make me understand how valuable it is to have acting as an art form, 
and um, you know character actors such as him. That um, you know, there's obviously a lot of people that you know do the method acting kind of thing, and you know, but, you know, to each their own, right? I don't think it's necessary, but that instinct I feel is is a prerequisite, and uh, Michael K. Williams really had that that instinctive element to read something and to go to certain people, ask some questions about, hmm, what about this? You know, I mean, my character's gay, what should I do about this? You know what I mean? And getting into that. And on top of all that, I feel like it should be it should be said um, that on top of all the roles he, he, he'll be known for and, uh, you know, and, and how fucking powerful they were in different ways, the guy came off as a real fucking nice dude. And uh, there was a video <clears throat> that was going around and people were like, this is how I'll choose to remember him, right? And it was him just like, because obviously he had a dancing background. Um, that's kind of where he began, I think, his in, in terms of his artistic uh, career. He was like dancing music videos and stuff in the 90s. And uh, there was a video of him just like doing, just dancing with this uh, woman in what I think was uh, New York. And he was just like super fucking in it. He was just into it. He was just like fucking jamming. He was he was bu- he was busting moves. So, from a gu- for a guy that seemed you know on the face seemed so you know dark and threatening and uh you know what I mean just like rugged right. He just seemed like a kind fucking dude. And the amount of testimonials that I've seen the past couple of days about how kind he was um, was absolutely um, outstanding. Um, so. R.I.P. to Michael K. Williams. Uh, and I'll leave it at that, ladies and gentlemen. From the Fifth End Podcast Network. I've been Chai Taylor, and this has this been what's good. Your intro music has been too much by Vanilla. You can find his link in the full show notes. Thanks to your practice for ability to use a track. You can also find their link in the full show notes. Thanks to Nappy High for the ability to use Charismatic for the interlude. You can also find his link in the full show notes. And I just had a thought. This is completely impromptu, but I'm going to leave you, instead of the music, I'm going to leave you with a uh, with a video I saw, and I'm going to pop it here on audio after after I finish, of uh, Wendell Pierce, uh, who played Bunk in uh, The Wire and has played in many other roles, a uh, great actor, um, talking about Michael K. Williams, because uh, I think that was a really good video to put, and... Uh, I kind of want to end on that. So with that said, I'll leave you with the words of Michael K. Williams and Mr. Wendell Pierce. Hope you'll have a good week. I shall always try and do the same. But until the next time, take easy. Ladies and gentlemen. I did, you know, I think I crossed the line with, you know, my real life and Omar's uh, 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 fictional life. But I had to, you know, I learned now how to, how to separate the fictional world for my real life, but it, it was a, it, the line got a little gray because I, I was a little green in the, in the early process of that. Well, he he may say that he was green, but Michael has contributed two of the most iconic characters in the history of American television, with Omar and with Chalky White. What we are actually getting to witness in his young career, we're going to see a lot more is like one of the great American actors, giving voice and giving flesh to uh, characters that most people would have never given the same humanity to. Uh, Giving, uh, opening a window to a world of men 
that we pass by or don't know about. It's one of the most innovative portrayals on television uh, in, in our generation, and I, it was an honor, an honor for me to even share the screen with him. One of the greatest moments I've ever had in my career was the scenes that I did with Michael. He's a very special man, very special artist, and with artists to the community, thoughts are to the individuals, the place where we reflect on who we are, and he has opened up a window of reflection to people who may pass people on the corner that they would have never given humanity to, that he has made people think twice and give humanity to these men, and that's classic American television history right there, Michael K. Williams.